Well, since Bill Sullivan made such a deal out of it, <laughs> of course, the problem is I didn't have a chance to give it a test flight and properly adjust the ailerons. But this is a day of mixed emotions. On one hand, this morning, we're going to find ourselves in the heavenly funeral parlor witnessing a death. On the other hand, we're going to find ourselves in the heavenly birth center as we observe a resurrection and a new birth. Today we're going to have the privilege of witnessing baptism at the close of the service. Praise be his name. Thinking about baptism, which the Greek word means immersion, there are questions that we could ask that I think almost everyone here could answer. First of all, why should one be immersed? Secondly, what are the results and promises that God has given us concerning immersion? And number three, what is our responsibility in bringing about the fruition of those promises? Now it's important for us to realize that God has not called us to preach baptism. He has called us to preach Jesus Christ. And I've been in some circles, frankly, that preach more about baptism than they do about Jesus. And it's almost given the impression that if you do this, then that's all there is to it. And going through this uh, sacrament in a mechanical way somehow assures you of heaven. And after that, you can go live the life you want. Absolute foolishness. You can be baptized into Jesus Christ, sow wild oats on Sunday night and pray for crop failure on Sunday morning, but uh, that doesn't work. When you're immersed into Jesus Christ, you give your heart to Him to serve Him. But even though we should preach about Christ and not baptism, it is important that from time to time we stop and think about this marvelous event that Jesus Christ has commanded, that God through the Holy Spirit has given to us containing marvelous promises. So let's spend a bit of time today just thinking about these matters. And we begin by looking at the very first episode of baptism that we find under the New Covenant. Now the New Covenant began on the day of Pentecost, recorded in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost was seven weeks after Passover. Passover was a very solemn time. It was a time in which the Jews partook of unleavened bread and the cup of the blessing, a cup of wine. But Pentecost was just the opposite. Pentecost was at the end of the spring harvest. It was a time of celebration. Instead of unleavened bread, every Jew's, Jewish family at least brought two loaves of leavened salted bread and presented them to God. It was a celebration, a time of harvest. How interesting that that is the day on which the Lord chose to inaugurate His church. And so in Acts chapter 2, we read about that day of Pentecost in which as they had spent ten days in prayer in the upper room, the Holy Spirit fell 
moved upon them. They began to speak in tongues. And then suddenly God brought an audience to which they could proclaim the gospel. And you remember Peter in that sermon spoke to the audience and said, This one that you with wicked and cruel hands took and crucified, God has raised up and made him both Lord and Christ. Today he is seated at the right hand of God. The people, Scripture says, the Greek says, were pierced in their heart. It's this word you'd use for a dagger. And they cried out, What shall men and brethren, what shall we do? They realized they had crucified the very Messiah for which they had been hoping. Peter said, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is not only to you, but it is to you and to your children and as many as are far off whomever the Lord should call. Let's take a few minutes and examine that command, that proclamation, and that promise. Repent. We mentioned before from sermons that the word repent in this passage is metanoeo, which means change your mind. One thing Peter was saying, change your mind about the identity of this person you crucified. He's no longer just a Jewish rabbi that you can do with what you choose, but he is Lord in Christ. Change your mind about who he is. And then change your mind. (laughs) Grieve over what you did to him. Repent. Change your mind about who Jesus is. You see, that is belief. The pattern of salvation begins by the proclamation of the gospel. Someone hearing it and the Holy Spirit moving upon a person's heart so he believes it. Not something that just is human will, but God brings that about. There's a conviction. This is the truth. You believe it. Remember, Philip was leading a tremendous evangelistic crusade in Antioch. Hundreds of people were coming to Christ. He was busy baptizing, baptizing, baptizing. Peter and John came down. They received the Holy Spirit. A tremendous event. And God said, Philip, I want you to lead this big event that you're leading with all these people and travel south down to a road And you will see a man coming along in a chariot. And he did. He said, now run and catch and jump in. And he did. As he ran along, he was invited by the Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot to get in. And the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. And he said, is the prophet talking about himself in this passage or someone else? Do you? Philip said, you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone show me? And so Philip, from that passage in Isaiah 53, proclaimed Jesus Christ to him. And he became a believer. 
And they passed water. Obviously, Philip had talked to him about being immersed into Christ. They came to water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What keeps me from being immersed? Philip said, If you believe, you may. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They got out of the chariot. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he immersed him, and the eunuch came up full of joy and went on his way rejoicing. But if you believe, you may. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And so when someone comes to be immersed into Jesus Christ, the first question we ask is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And then we ask them to repeat that after us. Verbalize it. Jesus said, whoever will confess me before men, him will I confess before the Father who is in heaven. And Scripture tells us there's rejoicing in heaven every time a sinner comes to God. Isn't that something to think about? We are going to, Although we won't hear it, we're going to cause some rejoicing in heaven this morning as the name of Jesus is confessed. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ of the Son of the living God? Yes. And then the second part of that, do you accept him as your Lord and your Savior? If so, repeat this after me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. You see, just belief isn't enough. James' writing said, the devils believe and tremble. You remember when Jesus came to the uh, Gadarene area and there were the demoniac there, one uh, version says two, one says one, probably because one was the spokesman, so that's where the focus was. And when Jesus got offshore and came into their presence, the cry was, What do we have to do with you, O Son of the Most High? Have you come here to torment us? The devils knew who he was. They believed. Something is required more than belief. Romans chapter 6, Paul discussing immersion. And there, he has just finished talking about grace, as Bill pointed out. And how the grace of God abounds. And the grace of God abounds in spite of the fact that we're sinners. And Jesus, as Bill said, Paul wrote, God didn't wait for us to get righteous but he came even while we were yet sinners. And so he talks about grace. And then he says, since grace glorifies God and since it's so wonderful, should we sin more that grace just may abound? The Greek says, meganoita. <laughs> Strongest negative you can use in the Greek language, it means let it not be. King James says, God forbid. That's paraphrased. Let it not be. How shall we who are dead to sin live therein any longer? And then he goes ahead and talks about the fact that when we are baptized into Jesus, prior to that time, he said, prior to that time you were slaves of unrighteousness. You couldn't help yourself. But after you were immersed and came forth to rise in newness of life, now you're slaves of 
righteousness. But then he says mental attitude is important. He says, reckon yourselves, the King James says. It really says, consider yourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God. You see, our part is, how do we think about ourselves? After we've been immersed into Christ, do we think about ourselves as being the righteousness of the Lord? Not our own, but the righteousness of the Lord. Paul in Romans 6 uses the Greek word, the preposition ice, baptized into Christ. Those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You go to the garden and you pick a bunch of cucumbers and you wash them and you work on them and do a lot of things to them and finally you stick them in a jar and on the jar you put a label, pickles. All of us, we might, by analogy, say we were all born cucumbers. But we come to Jesus, and he does this marvelous work in us, puts us all in a jar, and God looks at that jar and doesn't see cucumbers. It says, Jesus. God sees Christ because we are in Christ, not our righteousness but his. Every one of you be immersed in the name of Jesus Christ. The Greek preposition there is epsilon noon, in, in the name of. That carries the idea of authority. I'm doing this in obedience to his command. I'm doing this as his representative. Now most of you are probably too young to remember the comic strip Dick Tracy. But in the Dick Tracy comic strip, often there would be a criminal running and the policeman would shout, Stop in the name of the law! <laughs> stop, you see. I have the authority to do this. And not only that, I'm representing the law when I tell you to stop. That's the sense in which this verse says, Be baptized in the name of Jesus upon his authority. It is as if he were the one doing it. That's that sense. And you shall receive, King James says, remission of sins. Some verses say forgiveness of sins. The word is aphasis, alpha, phi, epsilon, sigma, yoda, sigma. It means, it's used in the sense of a, of a, of a uh, creditor. A man who lends money to people. And here's a debtor, a man who's borrowed a lot of money and doesn't pay it back, can't pay it back, and the interest grows and grows and grows, and the bill gets bigger and bigger, and the man can't pay it. And one day, the creditor says, I let it go. Forget it. It's gone. That's the sense. Opposites. Forgiveness. In Acts chapter 9, Luke summarizes the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. In Acts 22, Paul, now the Apostle Paul, Saul became the Apostle Paul, he's giving an, his own account of that event, and he gives greater detail about what Ananias said to him. 
And Ananias said to him, Paul said in Acts 22:16, Why do you tarry? Arise and be immersed, washing away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Washing away your sins. Paul wrote to the Corinthians describing the horrible life they used to live, but he said, that's not who you are now, you're washed. You're made clean. Now you're sanctified. Washing away your sins. Picture in the throne room of heaven a giant chalkboard and an angel with a giant piece of chalk and on the top of that chalkboard it says this, the sins of Jim Garrett. And so that angel takes the chalk and starts to write, six years old he lied to get out of punishment. Beat up a little boy when he didn't need to. I'm not going to list all my sins. (laughs) But after a while, that chalkboard gets full, and the angel says, God, give me another one. I'm running out of room. And another chalkboard. One day, Jim Garrett came down the aisle, confessed Jesus as Savior, accepted him as Lord, and was taken into the baptistry, and I'll tell you today, I remember that event so clearly. The water was different. It was like being in in a a tub of Alka-Seltzer. I can remember the water bubbling around me as I was immersed into Jesus. And on that day, Jesus Christ took a wet rag and went to that chalkboard and washed it all off. What a beautiful thing to think about, isn't it? sins were washed away. Thank you, dear God. Jim Garrett does not deserve heaven. But Jesus Christ has handed it to Jim Garrett as a free gift of grace. Praise be his name. Praise be his name. What is Jim Garrett's responsibility from that time on? That Jesus be his Lord. That Jim Garrett live a life that reflects Christ. That it can be said of him as it was written in the book of Revelation. To him that is faithful unto death. I will give the crown of life. And I would lie if I stood before you today and say I have perfectly been faithful. The Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians talked about the fact that he was pursuing. He said, not yet that I have attained. I'm not perfect yet, he said, but I am moving down the road. And then he said, and let all who would be perfect be thus minded. In other words, if I am on the road traveling with Jesus, In God's eyes, I'm perfect. That's something to think about. But there's also this need to recognize that we still often fail to reflect the person of Christ. A 
prayer I pray so often early in the morning before daybreak. Oh God, please be the auditor of my life. Please show me, Lord, where at this point you aren't Lord. And you know, even though I'll be 85 in October and I've been walking with Jesus 75 years, he is faithful to turn the searchlight on a corner in the basement of my soul that I didn't even know was there. And I'll tell you, those corners are harder to surrender than the ones he showed me when I was 20 years old. Because those corners are so much a part of who I am. What can I do about that? John, writing sometime between 90 and 96 A.D., he did this during the end of the reign of Domitian, according to several early church fathers, was dealing with the Gnostic heresy that was plaguing the church. And the Gnostics said, we have this wonderful secret knowledge. And the secret knowledge is this, that our body is one thing, our spirit is another. Our spirit is given to Christ, and therefore we'll live a perfect life. Our bodies, they just do what they want. They have wild sex, they get drunk, whatever. That doesn't affect us because our spirit isn't sinning. John said if we say that we have no sin, we are liars and the truth is not in us. And he was writing to baptize believers. But if we confess our sins, he is just and will forgive us of our sins for the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. And then in chapter 2 of 1 John, he says, those who are born of God do not keep on sinning. In other words, don't live a sinful lifestyle, but we're constantly in the process of growing. And so I thank God that as he functions as the auditor of my soul, when he shows me those corners of which I was not aware where he is not yet Lord, I can confess that, and it's not on the chalkboard. <laughs> it's not on the chalkboard. You know, I, I struggle a little bit with my human nature. Whenever I'm thinking about doctrine and truth, songs always come to mind. Do you have that situation? I was saying about the Lordship of Jesus. You know the song that came to mind? Carrie Underwood singing, Jesus Take the Wheel. <laughs> and I was thinking about this, the fact that that chalkboard is clean. The old revival song, the old account was settled long ago. <laughs> I'm thankful for that song. <laughs> I'm thankful for the truth in that song. My old account was settled long ago. Long ago, long ago, the old account was settled long ago. Because I came to Jesus in faith, acknowledging my sin, believing that his blood cleansed from all unrighteousness, and determined even in my 10-year-old childhood, small understanding that he be the king of my life. Sad to say, 
so often I have been the king of my life. And God continually points it out and rebukes me, and I repent, and I surrender. Last Sunday, Bill talked about the importance of our coming together as believers. And if we go on to the next verses, and those which Bill brought forth, it says this, For next not be assembling yourself together as a manner of some is, as Bill pointed out, but so much more as to see a day approaching. For if we sin willfully, there remaineth no more a sacrifice, but only the fearful looking for of the judgment of God. The key word, the operative word is willfully. Willfully. If you go to Walmart, and sad to say, it seems to be half the women at Walmart these days are half naked. But if, uh, if you go to Walmart and you see a woman and you start to lust, you didn't seek that out, it just hit you. God forgive me. But if you go down here on 6th Street and buy a ticket to the pornographic theater, that's willful sin. If you spend money and buy a pornographic CD, that's willful sin. If you ever realize you willfully sin, you better have a daylight scared out of you because the sacrifice of Jesus isn't going to cover that unless you just cry out and beg. And the mercy of God, of course, is always there. After I'm baptized into Jesus, I want to be a slave of righteousness, no longer a slave to unrighteousness. But... Being a human being, when I fail, sorrow in my heart, frustrated with myself, oh God, forgive me and enable me to live more completely a life dedicated to you. And he hears, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from that unrighteousness. The promise of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a firm promise given to those who come with believing, repentant hearts into the baptistry. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a striking thing that is. Paul writing to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, I think it is, says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And we've mentioned before in sermons the word temple there is the Greek word naos, which means that inner sanctum in the building where God himself dwells. Not the Heron, the temple proper, but that very sacred, holy of holy rooms. Your body is a sacred room wherein dwells the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a staggering thought? <laughs> Regardless of shape, appearance, color, health, <laughs> your body is a holy of holies wherein dwells the Holy Spirit. What a staggering thing to think about. 
The second thing in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, your Holy Spirit is, it says, we are sealed, and the Holy Spirit is given to us as a pledge. King James, I think, says earnest. It's as if you were going to buy a house, and the man says, okay, I'll sell you this house for $120,000, and you say, fine, I've got to somehow negotiate the financing, but here's $1,000 to show that I'm really going to do it, and this $1,000 is your. Now, if I buy the house, that $1,000 would go toward paying it off, but if it doesn't, you get to keep the money, earnest money. That's the sense in which 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is speaking of the Holy Spirit. It is given as a guarantee that heaven is mine because I have the Holy Spirit, not because of my goodness, but because of God's grace. I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. Ephesians chapter 1 describes it as you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's what it's talking about. And we've before mentioned in sermons, but let's pause a minute and do it again, the sense of that word seal. In that day, a man would wear a signet reed, for example, and when he wrote a letter at the bottom, there'd be a drop of wax and you'd put your signet ring in it and that'd be the seal. You would know that this truly is yours and that from whom it came. But it also had a sense of ownership. And, and for us living in this part of the country, a good way to understand that is brand. Springtime, the calves are rounded up and the various ranchers put their hot irons in the fire. And whatever their brand might be, the Rocking II or the Bar X or whatever, they put that on the calf's rump, and that brand is burned on. And then cattle roam in free range. Used to, I don't see it anymore. You could drive down the road, and you'd see a sign, caution, open range, because cattle roam openly, no fence. And the herds from the various ranches would sometimes merge, and they'd get inter intertwined. But... Roundup time, cowboys would come and they would sort out. These cows belong to the Bar X and these to the Rocking Two and these to the Two Eyes or whatever. And they knew that because of the brand. That's the sense of that seal. That's God puts his brand on you and says, this one belongs to me. And I thought, Think about the, the passage in which Jesus talked about the parable of the wheat and tares, remember? He said, some servants went out and sold a bunch of wheat and it grew. An enemy came through a bunch of tares. Wheat and tares grew up together. And the servant said to the master, shall we go out and do some kind of, try to sort them out? Jesus said, the master said, no, leave it alone. But in the end, when the angels come, they'll sort it out. And so I thought about this. What if there are some cowboy angels? And at the end time, here we are with all these brands. This one has the devil's brand, the mark of the beast. And this one has Jesus' brand, the seed of the Holy Spirit. And here come a bunch of cowboy angels. Whoop, hop, you know, sort us all out. <laughs> and those of us who have the brand of Jesus spend eternity with him. That's the sense of seal 
And when one is baptized into Jesus Christ, he receives the Holy Spirit, which among other things is that seal, that brand that says you belong to God. Isn't that something to think about? Praise be his name. And then by that empowerment of the Holy Spirit, as Paul said, having the Spirit, we can discern things that the normal man of the world can't. We're guided by the Holy Spirit, convicted by the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And our part is to live prayerfully, to know His Word, to receive the encouragement of those about us as together we're on the path to heaven. What a beautiful thought. Now this morning, if you're here and you have never begun that journey, you see immersion's just the start of the journey. You don't start until that happens. We want to invite you to come today and begin that journey. Be immersed into Jesus Christ. Know the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And know that whether you live another five minutes or another hundred years, at the end of your race, the open arms of God are there waiting to receive you. What a thought. Gabrielle, would you come this time? Would you come forward, Gabrielle? Just come. Gabrielle, two weeks ago, gone, spent time and praying. Would you just come up here, please? Down here will be fine. And prayed with Gabrielle, and Gabrielle expressed a desire to be immersed into Jesus. And so today, that's going to happen. So, Gabrielle, will you repeat after me? I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept Him. And I accept Him. As my Lord. As my Lord. And as my Savior. And as my Savior. Praise be to God. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Hazel, would you and Dawn now come and help Gabrielle prepare to be baptized? So if you will go with these two ladies. Again, let's remember what we're going to be seeing. Funeral. <laughs> the death of one who up to this point has served the flesh and the enemy with the birth of a new life, one born into the kingdom of God.